Good afternoon. This is Greg Lois. Thanks for joining me today to talk about an interesting topic, the second injury fund in New Jersey. And the first question I'm going to answer before we even begin is, does New Jersey still have a second injury fund? And the answer is, yep, it's one of the few remaining jurisdictions that still does. All right. Hi, thanks for joining me today. Uh, it is March 22nd. I hope everyone's been enjoying the much better weekend weather. We had some actual sun here, so it actually felt a little nicer. Hope everybody got a chance to get outside uh, and enjoy that a little bit. All right, today we're going to talk about the second injury fund in New Jersey. And a lot of people don't know much about the second injury fund, but it has a huge impact on your case exposure. So we're going to talk about that. So first we're going to answer what is the second injury fund, how the second injury fund will reduce your exposure if you can obtain contribution from that fund. I'm gonna to try to use really basic and clear examples today uh, because the second injury fund is a legal creation. Uh, but really, if we can give you some good practical examples, I think I can show you how this will have an impact in your New Jersey workers' comp cases. Uh, and my goal here today is to give you some practical advice, uh, try to keep this as down to earth as I possibly can. So. Uh, just as a quick reminder, this is completely live. So you should have a box somewhere on your screen or your uh, phone or whatever you're listening to me on. Uh, and you can type questions into me. Uh, please type in questions. It makes this so much more fun when people ask me questions about cases. I will not uh, say your full name. I'll just say your first name. And then I will read your question out loud so everybody can hear your question. And then I will answer it. Uh, it doesn't have to be on today's topic, although it makes it a lot more fun if it is. Uh, and since this is such a esoteric topic, the second injury fund contribution in New Jersey, uh, feel free to ask me your specific case level questions and I will uh, redact out as I give everyone the fact patterns, um, the anything that's I think specific to that case and I'll try to make it a general question that I can answer for everyone. Uh, so uh, let's just jump in. I'm hoping that everyone has at least has a copy of our New Jersey workers comp handbook. Uh, if you haven't received yours yet, uh, here's how you can get it immediately. You can go to loislc.com. That's our website slash publications, uh, and you can instantly download it. Um, chapter 15 in this year's book is the second injury fund, and I go into quite a lot of depth in this year's handbook, uh, quoting case law, giving specific examples, and really talking about the proofs that are necessary in order to gain contribution from the second injury fund. So if you need a deeper dive, uh, our handbook is the next place to go. Okay. Uh, this year's handbook has been completely redone and obviously a lot of new stuff in it. So I'm hoping that you've already had a chance to grab your copy. Uh, we have a completely new chapter on COVID-19 and a couple other legal topics where things have changed, uh, specifically the new case law and medical provider claims uh, that we've been very successful at getting dismissed or thrown out. So again, last time I'm going to say this, well, maybe not the last time, I think I say it a few more times. Again, this is a live presentation. I know everyone loves to watch PowerPoints and come to video meetings, uh, but uh, really to get the best value out of this, please ask questions because it makes it uh, a lot more interesting for everyone. <clears throat> All right, uh, if you're coming to this webinar, I hope everyone knows that we have four webinars. They're each on the first on the Mondays of each month. First Monday of the month is our construction webinar. Second Monday of the month is our risk transfer webinar. Third Monday of the month is our New York Workers' Comp webinar, and our fourth Monday of the month is our New Jersey Workers' Compensation webinar. So we go through a lot of topics. 
Uh, we train hundreds and hundreds of people each month through these webinars, and they're just really a great opportunity to learn. If you ever miss one, uh, you can go on our website and get links to all of the videos because we do store all these on our website so you can get to them. All right, let's ask answer the first question, which is why does the New Jersey Second Injury Fund exist? And the Second Injury Fund uh, was created uh, and added to our statute as a way of dealing with the fact that when the workers' compensation laws were passed in New Jersey over 100 years ago, we had a lot of injured um, uh, servicemen and service people coming back from fighting in World War I. And they were coming back to employments and maybe they had uh, got blown up with a landmine or, or, or injured in some other way. And they came back to employments and they had clear, obvious disabilities, kind of hard to ha uh, hide an amputation. Uh, and employers didn't want to hire them because the employer realized, well, if I hire somebody who has a significant disability and I injure them any further, I'm going to be liable for this person's potential total disability, even though they came to my employment with a very significant pre-existing disability. And so uh, the idea of the second injury fund was that if someone comes to your employment and they have a pre-existing disability, the second injury fund will be liable for that. And your new injury, which is you know, technically this, the, the newer second injury, the successive injury, um, you'll only be liable for that portion of it. And so it was an attempt uh, to uh, make the workplace more welcoming to these wounded veterans. That's really what the purpose of the Second Injury Fund was. So when does the Second Injury Fund pay? Well, the petitioner has to be completely and totally disabled now, and that's the result of the workplace accident. Plus, they had some type of measurable disability before the employment accident. In other words, there was some pre-existing injury uh, that was significant. And take them both together, the prior disability and the new one, they are now totally disabled. So we're only talking about claimants or petitioners who are claiming or alleging a permanent and total disability, which by the way, are also going to be uh, your some of your highest exposure claims that you're gonna be dealing with. So the second injury fund is really uh, helping us uh, deal with and reduce our exposure in some of these uh, highest exposure claims that we have. And that's why it's important to understand the mechanics of how it works and how it contributes. And I'll give you some examples of that. So the second injury fund uh, is exposed when either the petitioner or the respondent is conceding or claiming total disability. Uh, now, as a respondent, as a defense attorney, we're almost never going to stipulate to a total disability. Uh, it, it really doesn't make a lot of sense to do that. Even in cases where the claimant is clearly and totally disabled from our accident, we're gonna be looking for contribution from someone else and oftentimes that would be the second injury fund. But either party, either the uh, respondent or the claimant must allege total disability and they allege that by filing a, what's called a verified petition. It's basically a legal pleading that says, hi, I'm now completely and totally disabled. Uh, that's the first thing. Uh, we need to show that there was some type of disability before the workplace accident, okay? That's our burden. Uh, oftentimes, the petitioner will be helping us with that. In fact, they'll be saying, yeah, look, I have diabetes and chronic obstructive pulmonary condition, and I have a, a prior left knee fracture, and I could never walk right. So uh, we must show some type of disability, and we must show that that disability impacted their workability. And the claimant, again, needs to be now totally disabled. Right? That's the, the end result. The end result of the pre-existing condition and this last workplace episode has to uh, result in an employee who claims they can no longer work anywhere as a result of these injuries. Again, total permanent disability claims. 
All right. Uh, how do the mechanics of this pay? Why is this useful to us as an employer responded? Well, we are still going to pay for our portion of disability that we created with our last workplace accident, that accident which with, together with in combination with the pre-existing diso disability was uh, permanently and totally disabling. So we're still going to pay for what we did. But the second injury fund, the fund is going to pay for the remaining period and then onwards for the remainder of the total disability period, which is often the claimant's lifetime. So the fund is taking on far more exposure in general. All right, again, I'm explaining this to you, but I think it's best to show you an example of how this works. And let's look at an example of our friendly employee who comes to work for us, but before they ever came to work for us, they lost the uh, complete uh, below the knee amputation. Uh, they lost their right foot. Okay, now they come to work for us uh, and they're working for us. And now in a terrible workplace injury, they've now lost their left foot in a below the knee amputation, okay? Under New Jersey section 12, the loss of both hands, both arms, both feet, both legs, both eyes, constitutes total disability, statutory total disability. So in this instant, with no in second injury fund contribution, okay, if, there, if it didn't exist, we would be exposed for 450 weeks of compensation, plus the number of weeks of compensation in their life expectancy, plus medicals for life, okay? Uh, it was, would all be our exposure. So we would look at it as uh, what's, the, they would be deemed totally disabled, which is total disability in New Jersey is always calculated at 450 weeks for the initial uh, uh, allocation of disability. And then after 450 weeks, it's for a life, life expectancy. So what would that be? Uh, it's always 450 weeks. Where do you get the life expectancy? You take it from a life table or you could use a rated age. We would add uh, cost projections, either a Medicare set-aside allocation or any other kind of cost projections. And that's how you'd come up with your total exposure for a total permanent disability in New Jersey. Again, irrespective of the type of accident or loss, this would be the type the type of exposure you're looking at. We're using our example again of our poor employee who came to us with a right leg, uh, right foot below the knee amputation, and now as a result of a workplace loss has a left foot below the foot amputation. And again, we're assuming the second injury fund never existed. Our exposure is that first 450 week period. And again, I'm using a very low average weekly wage of only $600 per week. And then I'm imagining that they're 61 years of age. So those are our two assumptions. So they would be entitled to that 450 week period plus they have a 17.3 year life expectancy, so that would be an additional 449 plus 0.6 weeks, plus their set aside or whatever the cost projection would be. And so we're talking about a minimum indemnity exposure of $539,400 plus whatever the medical is. And as you can see, that's a giant exposure. Uh, and that would again, would be someone who's now permanently and totally disabled. And that would be as a result of the second amputation. Okay, now let's look at uh, some small contribution, even what if the second injury fund only states that, you know what, they had a prior disability by the prior loft of, loss of their foot, so I'm gonna give you a 1% contribution. Okay, it's tiny, but I'm doing this on purpose. I'm using a, a tiny number so I can explain to you how much or how dramatically that's gonna impact our exposure. So remember, the second injury fund pays when the petitioner is now totally disabled, and we know statutorily loss of two limbs, you're now statutorily disabled and they had a measurable disability before the employment, okay, 
I think the loss of the foot uh, before our employment counts, absolutely does. And they are now combined with the new disability to be totally disabled. Again, I've cherry picked a very clear and obvious example of total disability. So yes, they check all these boxes. So we should get second injury fund contribution in New Jersey. Let's take a look at the same exact fact pattern. Again, prior loss of use of the left foot, uh, sorry, right foot. The new injury is a right foot injury. Um, but let's let's uh, go to the second injury fund and say, wait a second, guys, uh, we've now lost the other foot. They're totally disabled, but I need some type of uh, co uh, contribution from you for the prior disability. And in this case, the prior is that pre-existing loss of a foot. So we go to our handy schedule of disabilities. And when we look at that schedule of disabilities, we see the maximum 100% loss of use of a foot is 230 weeks of compensation. But let's just pick 1% of that, 2.3 weeks of compensation. Let's say the secondary fund says, yeah, Greg, but he had uh, his prosthetic and he was in great shape and he was able to carry out his work duties all the time. So I'm only going to say that his pre-existing disability is 1% of the foot. Again, I'm picking an absurd example here to sort of make a point or to illustrate the extent to which this secondary fund contribution benefits us. All right, same example. Uh, with the no fund contrib contributing, we would pay 450 weeks, and then we would pay another 449 weeks to reach their life expectancy, and the total exposure would be $539,000. Now, with the second injury fund contributing only 1%, they're only giving us a 1% credit for that pre-existing disability, which works out to about two and a half weeks, uh, we would now be on the hook for 446.5 weeks of compensation, but we would no longer have any exposure going forward towards the total disability, and our exposure would drop to just about exactly half, $267,600. And as you can see, that's a tiny, teeny amount of contribution from the second injury fund, and it reduces our exposure in half. And we could play around with these numbers, and I could, for example, add numbers that uh, gave 10% or 20% or 30% or 40% credit for the pre-existing disability, and you would see that total exposure number come down even further. But this example is useful because it illustrates the fact that if you get really any contribution from the second injury fund, you're significantly impacting your exposure in a New Jersey total disability case. So how do you get contribution from the second injury fund? How are you getting this? Well, first, again, I talked earlier about needing a verified petition. This is really just a formal piece of paper that we're filing in court, and, and typically it is filed by the petitioner that says, I, the claimant, am now totally disabled, and then it describes the pre-existing disability, so it needs to be done. Second, documenting the pre-existing disability. Uh, this person may have uh, not obvious uh, conditions or uh, restrictions. For example, I'm, again, I'm picking an obvious example of someone with a below-the-knee amputation. You can see that with your eyes. Um, even the judge of compensation can understand what we're talking about. That's how obvious it is. But you know, other conditions like diabetes, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, uh, any other forms of uh, injury that they've sustained over the years. And again, we're not looking at work-related injuries. There are no requirements that these be work-related injuries in order to get contribution from the second injury fund. And they need to be documented. So oftentimes, we're going back and getting medical records that show surgeries, treatments, illnesses, conditions, restrictions from 10 or more years ago. That needs to be done. Um, next, there needs to be a medical report from someone, and typically it's going to be the petitioner's independent medical examiner that finds them to currently be totally and permanently disabled. Um, 
in order to uh, present these cases fully to the court, we're often gonna have to answer in questions about the claimant's social security disability status, what their ACE is, average current earnings, what their what kind of social security offset, what type of pension they're on, all those types of pieces of information. Now, standing against us is the second injury fund. The second injury fund, even though uh, they are funded uh, entirely from premiums that they uh, charge or surcharge onto workers' compensation policies and to self-insureds, they really act like that's their own money. The second injury fund is represented by deputy attorney generals from the attorney general offices, and they're quite zealous about protecting and defending the second injury fund. Again, they think of it as their money, and they really don't want to contribute in cases where they don't have to. And there are many times when this uh, second injury fund is cannot or will not contribute to a case. So, for example, they will never contribute uh, for the cost of medical treatment, for the cost of the uh, petitioner themselves bringing their suit, for example, the cost of their independent medical experts or any kind of discovery that takes place, and they do not contribute to attorney's fees. That all reverts to us as the uh, respondent and oftentimes will be allocated somewhat to the petitioner. They will never contribute towards a Section 20. That is a lump sum dismissal in New Jersey, and you will never get contribution from the second injury fund for a lump sum dismissal. Uh, they will not contribute, nor should they, for dependency benefits only for total permanent disability benefits. They will not contribute in a partial disability case, and that is a case in which the claimant is anything less than totally and permanently disabled. In those cases in New Jersey, where the person is not totally disabled but does have a pre-existing condition, even if it's not work-related, you can utilize the case law. And the case in New Jersey is called Abdullah. That gives us a credit, and that is a dollar-for-dollar -dollar credit in today's dollars uh, for the value of any pre-existing conditions. Uh, they will not pay, and will often raise as a defense, that the last accident by itself was totally disabled. And this is an instance where the Deputy Attorney General will essentially say, yeah, Greg, this person has a terrible disabling injury for you. Uh, and, and, in, and in their past, they have many disabling injuries and had lots of restrictions and conditions. But Greg, your last injury was so disabling, so catastrophic, that it by itself disabled the claimant. And that's one of their most common defenses. And the other defense uh, they'll argue is where a permanent residual disability, which was partial in nature and permanent in uh, duration, has progressed over time and become totally disabling. They are not responsible for conditions in which the claimant's or condition has deteriorated or worsened and gone from a partial disability to a total disability. In those instances, uh, you will be uh, uh, responsible for that new exposure under Section 27, which is essentially the application to reopen or modify an award. Oftentimes, those are called in New Jersey a reopener. Um, now, those are all the legal defenses they have, but they have some very common objections that we hear all the time we have to overcome. The first one is, uh, Greg, the last accident was so catastrophic by itself, they were totally disabled uh, by that accident alone. And then we've got to overcome that objection. And really, um, sometimes this needs to be done via testimony. Sometimes this needs to be done via medical documentation to show that this last accident by itself was not truly totally disabling, and that really it's the combination of all of these conditions. So that's our burden to show that. The next is they'll say the person's not totally disabled, okay? And they like to argue uh, that the person could work, uh, they could be a Walmart greeter. That's the that's the classic one they use. They could say, oh, this person could do something sedentary. All right, uh, that's not consistent with the case law in New Jersey, which says uh, that we don't have to invent fictional jobs that the person can do. We take the person from a medical impairment perspective and not from a vocational perspective. 
Uh, but again, this is one of those common defenses that we hear, and that can be overcome. And again, your counsel just needs to be a persuasive advocate and rely on the case law that's in our benefit in this, in this way. All right, so we've talked about how the second injury fund can significantly reduce exposure in total permanent cases. We've talked about the defenses to total permanent disability, and we've talked about our common objections to total permanent uh, uh, that are raised by the deputies attorney generals who represent the second injury fund uh, to keep them from providing this contribution. Uh, all right, uh, we think that this is part of a standard workers' comp defense, and particularly in a total case, to analyze the case for when the second injury fund should contribute and then be able to litigate or advocate for that position that the second injury fund contributes. So you should be expecting that uh, from your defense counsel. All right. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. I'm hoping there are some good questions in here because questions make this even more fun. So let me dive in here and see what kind of questions we have. All right, this is awesome. All right, so Michelle asks uh, a question and she says, Greg, what is the insurer's responsibility for medical once the second injury fund has taken over payments of indemnity? So our uh, responsibility for medical never ends. In a total permanent disability case, you are exposed for the medical solely relating to the last workplace accident or your workplace accident until the claimant expires from whatever natural causes or other causes. Um, that's only thing that you're responsible for. And we have to be very careful, particularly in a total permanent case, that these medical conditions don't start mushrooming into more and more things. So we have to you know, be careful about that. But once the second injury fund takes over the payments of indemnity benefits, we are only exposed for medical, and it is just medical related to the workplace loss, not every and any medical. Uh, and again, uh, there are many ways you can resolve that or deal with that, uh, but we do think that this is something that needs to be paid attention to because oftentimes we'll see more and more conditions uh, get sort of lumped in under the workers' comp case, and that can ex drive exposure. But uh, indemnity exposure ends at that moment, and so you won't be paying anything. Um, all right, that's the only question I have. Uh, David told me he lost sound, but then he got sound back, so that's good, great. Uh, and I'm checking through here. I don't see any other questions popping up. If you do have any other questions about this topic, or really any topic in workers' comp, uh, please feel free to reach out to me. All right, everybody, I hope you get out there and get to enjoy this beautiful spring weather that we're starting to get nowadays, uh, and I'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.